Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gordon and Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, be well. Today's episode of Becoming Well deals with Jesus' take on mental health. Why does Jesus care about mental health? And how do we create space for both the gospel and mental health to coexist? So I want to jump into this topic of what does Jesus really say about mental health, mm-hmm. right? Does the Bible talk about this? This is a huge question that I know you and I both face in the classroom from our students who are being equipped and trained to become future mental health counselors. But um, I don't know how it is for you in the church. The second that my church found out I was a psychologist, I became kind of the go-to <laughs> person for mental health questions. <laughs> like, how do we navigate this congregation member? How do we support this person? Mm-hmm. How do we deal with our, you know, the need of of our staff who are feeling burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed and experiencing depression and anxiety? And so I'm grateful that we're having the conversation in those spaces. Mm-hmm. But I know, I mean, we, we've talked about the reality that there is still this kind of misunderstanding or hesitation to say that mental health or mental illness is something that the Bible even discusses Mm -hmm. um, or provides examples of how to treat outside of, you know, just encouraging people to pray more or trust God more. So let's dive into this, this conversation around what does Jesus say about mental health? Does he care about mental health? Do we see examples of this in the Bible? What's been your experience around this topic? Well, it's the same as yours. I think people uh, now I will say it's getting better because now, you know, a lot of conversations are happening, especially in light of our social climate. But yes, there's so much stigma still on that. Right. And people what I find is that people will try to look for a specific thing in the Bible and then say it's not there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, totally. So we have to kind of look at it as, you know, some of its implications, some of it is doing, you know, you know, understanding what it meant during that time and what it looks like. You know, I talked about this before is that a lot of times we have to look at the disposition and we have to look at what uh, the examples that Jesus set when he was here on earth in terms of looking at mental illness. Because I think we tend to have the idea that mental illness is for quote unquote crazy or people or you have to or you're schizophrenic or you are struggling with bipolar extreme cases mm-hmm. in terms of what mental health means so people were saying you know people were like well the bible doesn't address that yeah so i think that's the that's the the error and we we're, we're thinking that it has to look one way but there's so many accounts you know that is addressed in the Bible, and yeah. that Jesus cares about mental health. The, the, I, and I, I don't, I don't mean this. You, you can understand when I mean this. That that is such a great question, Deb. But sadly, that's a great question because the implication <laughs> is that the two can't co- coexist. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that they're mutually exclusive in some capacity. Right. And and so even in my work, where it's you know, where in in, in the classroom setting, um, I find two camps. Right. I find that you have you know, you have Christians and they say there's Jesus, but we don't talk about this mental health thing, mm-hmm. right? Or there's mental health. And if there's mental health issues, there's no Jesus. Yeah. Right? So then that's the camp oftentimes what I, was, what I will see with Christians. 
With non-Christians and people in the mental health field, they will say, yes, there is psychology, there's clinical um, uh, issues, and there's chemical imbalances, and they're coming strictly from a psychological standpoint, but we don't talk about this religious Jesus thing, Mm -hmm. right? So you have both camps that actually will will advocate for one rather than the other when, in fact, they both—they're related. Yeah. You know, and it is still what— I see as a misunderstanding of uh, both fields and both in both ideas of what, what mental health is. Right, yeah. we kind of have to blow off the top or blow off the cap of saying it's not just that uncle that got put away that you never saw that's mentally ill or ha- you know mental health is any day to day thing that may be disrupting your life. Right? right, right, yeah. You know, and so we have to kind of look at that from a standpoint of what really mental health is. Yeah, we first need to have this this understanding that it's not these huge polarities, like that there's actually a significant spectrum where, yes. yeah, of course, we do have severe mental illness. And sure. for some people, that might look like hospitalizations, mm-hmm. ongoing medical care for the course of their life. Mm-hmm. Um medication, treatment, that kind of thing. But then we do have, as you said, mental illness is really defined by the disruptions in daily living. Mm -hmm. And frankly, probably the majority of biblical figures had disruptions in their daily living, right? (laughs) And so I think I love this idea of how do we start normalizing what the experience of mental health and mental illness really is first Mm -hmm. to then be able to bring this conversation in. Mm -hmm. Um, And to, you know, I'm thinking of, okay, so like what what are some of the biblical passages that come to mind of people navigating um, mental health challenges? And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. David is one Mm -hmm. for sure. We see there's there's actually some great resources on utilizing the Psalms as a way to validate the experience of depression and anxiety, right? Not to to say this is going to be the fix, Right. For some people, it might be that their that their symptoms are mild enough that they can turn to scripture, feel mm-hmm. that sense of validation and connection to a bigger story, and it alleviates the symptoms. But right. I think just being able to say, "Hey, here's an example mm-hmm. of somebody who is struggling," and what came to mind is Psalm thirty eight four, where David is saying, "My iniquities have gone over my head, yes. like a heavy burden; they are too heavy for me." Yes. And, you know, I think of some of my clients who have come in, and this is almost exactly what they've described in experiencing depression. Like, it's too much. It's too heavy. I can't carry it. And I think it's probably pretty easy to argue if we put on our diagnostic hats right now that David was navigating depression. Depression, sure. Yeah. And Jesus didn't immediately heal him mm-hmm. when he cried out for help. Yeah, He still navigated that probably throughout the duration of his life. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that, that the response that Jesus gave, right? And sometimes we do our own responses in a way that's not consistent with what the, the responses that Jesus gave, mm-hmm. right? I tell my students a lot, even if you are a Christian counselor or you're a counselor that's a Christian or whatever way you want to set up your practice or whatever way you want to see yourself as a clinician or a helper, even if you have someone that comes into your office and they're not a Christian, for example, we still can live into who Jesus is and how he actually answered to individuals that are dealing with mental illness in a way that might not necessarily be direct, um, a direct uh, 
Bible verse or something that we're just going to say, here, do this, right? Mm -hmm. Because Jesus also, he also displayed his disposition, right? So we talk about Rogers, right? With unconditional positive regard. And we talk about um, uh, empathy and having a listening, a listening stance, right? Those are all the same dispositions, that Jesus displayed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so when we look in the Bible, we can look in words, but we also can look in the actions that Jesus displayed when he actually interacted with individuals that were in agony, that were depressed, Mm -hmm. or that, you know, had anxiety, you know? And so I think sometimes when we look at, you know, can, you know, what Jesus says about, does he care about mental health? We, we, it's such limited and such a, 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 uh, a very tight, seemingly neat box that we feel that if it doesn't look like that, that means Jesus wasn't in it. Right. Right. right? Yeah. And, 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 and I always say this, I was just like, my, 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 my God is bigger. <laughs> right. And he's so diverse. He doesn't know? fit in the box. He doesn't fit in the box. He right. Totally explodes the box. He explodes <laughs> the box. And even when you see, you know, when even when you see Jesus walk on, on earth, you see him interact so many different ways with so many different issues and what is needed at that moment. And so as Christian counselors and saying, okay, why does Jesus care about mental health or does Jesus care about mental health? Sure. But we have to be open to see how he did that yeah. as opposed to our own paradigm or our own schema in terms of what it should look like. Yeah. Well, I think of like you said, his example, you know, what comes to mind is the is the woman at the well. Yes. And so I know for, for my students, sometimes they wrestle with this idea of you know, speaking truth into a client's life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so I actually use that example as a way of saying, look, Jesus modeled for us knowing somebody before mm-hmm. he ever... Relationship. Relationship. Rapport, <laughs> rapport right? Like right. before he ever kind of called out the truth and the unhealthy behaviors in her life, mm-hmm. it was about knowing her, yes. sitting with her, being present with her in a very uncomfortable situation because yes. it's very uncommon for, for you know, for people in Jesus's cultural background to interact with the Samaritans. Right. And absolutely. so he, he, he basically created this space that was kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. And for us as counselors, you know, um, it's our responsibility to meet our clients where they at, mm-hmm. where they're at without any level of discrimination right. and just to be able to sit with them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus modeled that. I mean, he is the wonderful counselor, right? Yes. Modeled that so well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard this recently. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on this and, uh, I don't know that I've fully fleshed it out, but somebody had shared with me not too long ago just this idea of what is what is it like to experience the dark night of the soul? Mm. And, you know, it was kind of struck me one day um, as I was reading my Bible that things happened in darkness. Mm-hmm. Like when you go back to Genesis, God was creating yes. in darkness. darkness. Like yes. babies are formed in the womb yes. in darkness. And so to me, it's almost like this sense of hope because again, things that I hear clients describe depression as moments of darkness, this right. idea of the dark night of the soul, whatnot, right. that things are still happening in your sure. life in those dark moments. God is still creating and yes. moving, and you're not alone in that dark moment. And you know what, Deb? That is so important because so I, I'll take it from a more of a, a personal example, but also in a bigger uh, context. What I found is that we th- that oftentimes Christians will say God is working when something's good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They correlate 
their life going smoothly with God is paying attention to me. God yeah. is working and God is in control of my life. That's, you know, we're we're at our most level of belief when our life is going great. Okay. So then what 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 happens with that 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 belief system is that is that conversely when something isn't going right in our life, God is far away from us. Mm-hmm. Us, us. There's no biblical foundation for that. In fact, there's so many, you know, and there's so many accounts in the Bible where you see that sanctification process and that transformation process in the midst of darkness. Right. Right. So I say that, you know, I, I, I always kind of go back to who I am and how God has transformed me. And, and I will say even recently, um, there has been some moments of darkness for me. And I, I want to say this so in a way that's so celebratory that this was this was the first moment a couple of months ago that I felt like I was such in the dark but I've never felt as close to God. Mm. And I didn't I never thought those two things were even able to you know to coexist and be <laughs> together, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's like, you know, if I'm dark, if I'm not feeling well, if I'm sad, if I'm in sorrow, if I'm agonizing, then God must be far away. Yeah. But it just it you know to to give a visual, it felt like I was blindfolded, but God had my hand as if we're going he's leading me to this birthday party. You know, the surprise birthday party, but I'm in the darkness. Oh, I love it. Right? Yeah. And that is I think that is what we we make a mistake in believing that God is this. If it's bad, then it's not him If it, or he has left us. You know, we're in this Job moment mm-hmm. or his friends as well. Well, what did you do? Yeah. You know, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> this is your fault. This is yeah. your fault, you know. And no, that's the sanctification process. Yeah. It really is, you know, and so I think our culture, we, we tend to, you know, we, we want to feel good. And when we feel good, that means that everything else is falling into place and it, it, that, that aligns with that. And that's not how God works. Right. At least it hasn't worked in my life like no, that. Right? Yeah, mine neither. <laughs> but, and, it, and it kind of reminds me of what you said earlier, this dichotomy. So we've got this, this expectation of a dichotomy between like you're either— you're either healthy or you're not. Mm-hmm. You either, you know, trust and love Jesus for your mental health or you're over here on the, you know, negative bandwagon of mental health providers who are all about like the self-positive psychology piece. Right. But we're talking about the fact that many things coexist at the same time. Absolutely. Right? Like there is absolute biblical truth mm-hmm. and we're seeing that biblical truth reflected in some of the knowledge that psychology and clinical sure. mental health is imparted in the world. Sure. You can feel utter despair and depression or overwhelming anxiety or being in the throes of a manic episode of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and still experience and acknowledge God's presence in your life. Yeah. You know, I think like you're saying, you see God, so many of us only see God in those celebration moments. Mm-hmm. I think we also only see health in the absence of of emotions right. or experiences that are not painful. Right. And that's just not, A, what God promised, or B, reality. It's not reality. And if you think about Paul, right? You think about, um, 
I believe it's Second uh, Corinthians ten twelve, and he talks about the thorn. Yeah, right where it he you know he has he's been given dreams and revelations, but he has been stricken with this thorn. But he is saying in the midst of this thorn, he will still glorify God, right? Because he is reminded who is you know his my grace is sufficient. You know mm-hmm. his grace is f- sufficient, right? Where it's this I still have this thorn. We you know and it's, and it's you know it's it's an argument of what the thorn. Uh, indicates or what it what it was in terms of with Paul but it's this idea that that thorn is still there that God allowed that thorn to still be there so that he can be glorified yeah does that make sense yeah where it's not that if that thorn was gone then God is good right but God is saying no with I'm I'm going with Paul right arguably the <laughs> closest to Jesus you know I am going to be here I, this thorn is here so that you can remember that I am the one that that I uh, that I'm here, right? Yeah. Because here's the thing: if we don't, sometimes I, I look at it this way: when we see our issues and the things that we struggle with, and we're feeling this 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 pain and this agony, we oftentimes can keep that centered on us. Mm-hmm. And then you know, if we do that, sometimes we cannot see how miraculous God is yeah and how uh how much he's working in our life in spite of yes oh I love that right the you know I, I love when pastors and a lot of a lot of black pastors do that right He'll, they'll tell the sermon and then they'll just say but God yes do you know what I mean but God and so that's my you know uh from a personal standpoint um I, I said this before that I struggle with anxiety but what I love about that <laughs> right? That I will boast about my weakness. Yeah. Right, Paul? Well, I will boast about my weaknesses because that will, you know, and I'm totally butchering the scripture, but, <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's, the, it's the Mary Hendrickson it's version. It's the Mary Hendrickson version, and God is so the good. MHV. <laughs> he, he, he understands. He has, he's so, he has so many languages that he speaks. And, um, that he will be illuminated and he will be glorified in my weakness. Yeah. So when I am anxious, I can't give the, and I still am able to execute something that God told me to do. I cannot give the credit to myself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Only God can be glorified in that. So I don't want to say that we all should just run around and just encompass our weaknesses or encompass our thorns. But there are times where our thorns are used to glorify God and his power and understanding that he is in control and it's not us. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes if we get, you know, healed and then we do all the things that we want to do and we think that we've done it. God is like, wait a minute, hold on now. Hello, I'm over here. Right, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so my point is that we tend to want to separate it and we tend to want to make it exclusive of one another, but he is sovereign and he is in control of all of that, mm-hmm. right? What you're saying is it's a it's a perspective shift. And and mm-hmm. I want to clarify and you know, in in what you're saying, we're not saying that um, you know, that there's a reason for the suffering per se, no, right? Because that's something that that oftentimes people hear and that can be very hurtful or that in our best of intentions, we tell people, you know, God's never going give, to give you anything you can't right. handle or there's a reason for this, God's going to use it. But that's also what our faith calls us to do is mm. to step into situations that we don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand why yeah. 
people go through the levels of suffering and trauma and brokenness and pain that they've gone through. I don't know why some of those things have happened in my own life. Mm-hmm. I don't, there's not an answer for it in terms of the, this is the rationale or the reason behind it. And we want that. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence to me that the first sin that was ever recorded in the Bible was about seeking knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of driven to that. But what you're saying is that in all of that, mm-hmm. God has called us to consider and to embrace this perspective that yes. He will create meaning yes. and glory out of those circumstances. Yes. And that when we can shift that focus externally mm-hmm. towards Him and off of us, mm-hmm. it might be a salve in a lot of ways sure. in the midst of our suffering yes. to say, God is using this. I might not know how, I yes. might not like it. Right. It doesn't mean that that's going to absolve or eliminate my feelings of sadness, despair, anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. but I will hold to the truth that God is using it. Right. Absolutely. And that, and for me, when we talk about mental health, that is that whole idea of not kind of slicing it and making it these two different, these two different um, ideas or camps um, that can't be, working for the, the the integration of who we are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what I think sometimes as counselors, we forget that we're integrated beings. So when we have the mental health issues and then we have our God and we have all of these different, you know, things going on in this, in, 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 in general, it, it we tend to splice it and we tend to separate it and they tend to feel fragmented and it's not. no. Right? No, we're whole. That we're, we're whole. whole. So when we talk about the psyche, um, psyche is Latin for um, soul and spirit. Yeah. Right? And here's the thing when we talk about that, right? Soul, mind, and spirit. So it, so that indicates people understand, you know, at least in the in the counseling field, they understand that there is, uh, we're integrated beings. Mm-hmm. Similarly... The greatest commandment is what? Love God with your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength, right? So so when I look at that, if you if you if you um juxtapose, I guess, both of these ideas, there is we are meant to be fully integrated. Yeah. Right? So it's not even exclusive of one another when you think about these two seemingly opposing ideas. That we are actually meant to be fully integrated. Yeah. And that includes our minds, right? And we can't say our mind is over here and Jesus has nothing nothing to do with that. Or Jesus is over here and it doesn't include our mind. Right. Well, and, and I, that goes back to the very essence that, that, that God calls us to take every thought captive. Yes. And, you know, we have the blessing of technology and advanced mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. Uh, in our current context. And so we've actually seen how this plays out when we look at the activity in the brain through, mm-hmm. you know, different tools such as fMRIs where we can mm-hmm. actually see what's the electronic activity. And this is how I kind of like to equate it. If we talk about why God was so intentional in telling us to be guarding and mindful of our thoughts, mm-hmm. because our thoughts actually do influence our, our actions or behavior. Sure. Yeah, it's so interconnected. So you think about... Um, this is kind of my analogy. So my grandfather was a wheat farmer. Mm-hmm. I grew up going on the farm a mm-hmm. lot with uh, Grandpa George. <laughs> and um, and we had, you know, 
these combines and we would go out and we would we would till the ground and get it ready for planting and and I remember this this one time I was out with with my grandpa on the farm and there was a path back to the farmhouse we were finished for the day and we just kind of naturally found the path and we we're walking back and you know little 12-year-old Deb was nervous about what happens if we get lost in the wheat field yeah. you know we had acres upon acres of wheat and right. um and I thought what if we can't find the path or what yeah. if we plow over the path. Mm. And I'll never forget my grandfather said that it would take years to actually get rid of the path because the soil had been trampled down mm. over and over and over again. It was actually, it had changed the chemistry makeup of the soil. It wasn't mm. conducive to receiving seeds. Okay. And um, how biblical is that? Awesome. And so years later, as yeah. I'm studying psychology um, and I'm learning about how our brain functions in communication, mm-hmm. it occurred to me there's this similarity there that we have, you know, we have a thought. Mm-hmm. We have neurons that mm-hmm. communicate our thoughts from one synapse to the other. Mm-hmm. And those become pathways, right. and they can actually become habitual. Yes. And when we take in especially negative thoughts mm-hmm. and feedback, mm-hmm. we actually, our brain adapts to that. Sure. The pathways become, you know, kind of grooved mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And it takes an intentionality to create new pathways, right. to create positive thought processes and more productive thoughts that then influence those types of behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so just like you're talking about, we can't separate out this idea of mind and body and soul. Mm -hmm. God knew that and how he created us and commanded us to be mindful and considerate of the thoughts that we're taking in. Yeah. So why do you think the church then separates the mind, right? So if if I, you know, I can go in a church or I can talk to a Christian and they say, oh, I've been having like heart palpitations mm-hmm. or I've been having really, really bad headaches or my leg is killing me. And oftentimes Christians will say, oh, have you seen a doctor, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but if someone is courageous enough to say, you know, I've been feeling down or I've been feeling a little anxious. We, you typically say what? Have you been praying? Have about you been it? praying about it? Right. Well, that's your relationship with right. God. The, the girl, the devil is mm. alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or my 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 least favorite, but oftentimes, like you just need to snap out of it. Yeah, like you just need to change up your lifestyle and snap out mm-hmm. of it. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. They will. Th- <laughs> They just throw the book at you, don't they? <laughs> at you. So I, you know, I, it's always been fascinating to me that when we talk about the mind, all of the rules, when we talk about the body, it's it's all off. Yeah. Right? It's throw not the baby consi- out with the bathwater. We it's throw gone. the baby out yeah. with the bathwater. So I, I'm, I'm curious what your, I have my thoughts on it, but you're, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of why we separate that and why we discriminate mm-hmm. that um, the minds and the body when we're talking about healing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of it is that we historically haven't had this conversation. So mm-hmm. there's kind of a lack of education mm-hmm. around, unless you're intentionally seeking it out, mm-hmm. around what mental health really is and how it can affect and it does affect our biological makeup. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. I think, too, there's this struggle with things that we can see and we can't see. Mm-hmm. You know, like medical illnesses tend to be... Um, seen in some way. You described physical symptoms. Right. You see yeah. me limping. You see that's, me limping. Right. I have a fever, you know, that might I might be flushed or I can see the outcome of that on a thermometer. Mm-hmm. But when I'm struggling with thoughts, mm-hmm. 
it's kind of nebulous. Like right. we can't we can't see it. And unless you've actually gone through, I mean, you and I have talked about we've both gone to therapy. Mm-hmm. I went through a pretty significant depression mm-hmm. after my mom passed away and still deal with anxiety from time to time. Until you've actually experienced that, mm-hmm. I think unfortunately it's sort of easy to um, just kind of brush it off as, again, something that you can just snap out of. Right. But it, there really does need to be this understanding of how much the physical and chemical structures of our brain, which then communicate down to the rest of our body, right. are impacted when we're navigating mental health. Right. And, and here's, the, here's the thing that the things that we see, the things that are uh, apparent, so if we see someone with, you know, uh, an injury, like you said, or we see someone with physiological symptoms that, you know, maybe their hands are, are sweaty or their face is flushed, we have to understand that those can, that can mean that there's an underlying mental issue or that can mean that that can lead to a mental issue, mm-hmm. right? When people are feeling, you know, medical issues oftentimes can put one into a depression and anxiety, right? Because they feel hopeless. They feel, they're constantly in pain. So it's not even, again, what we talk about this exclusive thing, right? We have to make sure that when someone is feeling a certain way, even if it's medical, that we have to understand that's going to have an impact on their mental health. Absolutely. Right? And so we, but we tend to just say, okay, they get that taken care of, then you're good. And that's not necessarily true. You know, and there's so many different ways that, um, that are so many things that we need to update in terms of Christianity and psychology, right? Where I think the reason why, so my take on this is, is that oftentimes we, you know, we have a lot, Christianity has a long mistrust of psychology because it's the sciences, mm-hmm. right? That, that evil word, the sciences, right? And it's not biblical or secular, and, you know, I, so so I think oftentimes people, you know, with good intentions would want to make sure that Scripture stays pure Yeah, with good intentions. Um, but what happens is that we, I believe that we've overlooked some of the truths that we need to be integrated holes and that the tr- the Bible is tr- truth and truth is found in the Bible. However, it doesn't mean that there aren't other area or other uh, uh, arenas and resources that does not have the truth as well. Yeah. You know, and the the Bible was always about truth, absolutely. But I think I get a little bit uh, touchy when people use the Bible kind of like an encyclopedia, right? Oh, sure. this is what I'm going through. Yeah. Okay, you know, <laughs> and not realizing there there are people that God is constantly using that is very um, aligned with the truth that can help you um, address those mental health issues when um, it's not specifically um, addressed maybe in the Bible. Or at that moment, it may not be um, something that's a spiritual issue, right? So, so, and I don't mean to digress too much, but so oftentimes we'll look at mental illness as a spiritual issue, yeah. right? So we yeah. talk about biblical counseling or, or um, maybe neuthetic counseling, right? In terms of where the Bible is just use whatever your issue is, especially even mental mm-hmm. issue. Just go to scripture. Just go to That's scripture, yeah. right? Now I think, and so there, there's a space for that, Absolutely. Right? Because I do believe that some of our issues are are from, um, uh, you know, it may be a faith issue. Yeah. But there's chemical issues. 
There's medical issues, right? There's so many issues. There's trauma mm-hmm. that informs our mental health, and it's not because we just don't have enough faith, yeah, right? And so there are times where there are, you know, um, I have, I was born with um, heart issues, and sometimes in, oftentimes when people have heart issues, the symptoms can come off as uh, anxiety, mm-hmm. right? With with no, there's no trigger, nothing, no major event that has happened, but the symptoms are anxiety. Does that mean that I am not close to God or I don't believe that God can heal me? Not at all, but it doesn't take away from the fact that because of this medical issue, I experience anxiety, right? And so it has to be where we have to understand that when we're talking about mental health in the Bible and, you know, God and Jesus, that we have to see it bigger than just a faith issue, Mm-hmm. You know, and see it for that it could be other things. Yes, the Lord can actually use these different things. Um, he's he's never, uh, you know, out of the picture, even if it's a medical issue. But if your leg hurts, if your leg is broken, I'm not going to say, oh, they went to the doctor. They're not a Christian, right? <laughs> you didn't pray for that bone to reset itself. Right. Yeah. You know, you just need to pray hard and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And, you know, and so that's very important that we have to understand that anxiety and mental, not just anxiety, but mental illness in general, it just, it's not secluded just to a, um, a, a faith issue. Right. Well, and you mentioned, you know, even this idea of like the different factors that can influence mental health and wellness. And we can't neglect the reality that we are living in a broken world right. and how that world impacts us mm-hmm. again, holistically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about um, is, is the different cultural factors that come into play here. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, interesting emerging research on this topic of epigenetics, which mm. is how our genes actually express Play. themselves, Absolutely. right? Um, and and how environment and has impacted even our mental health and well-being through generations. Sure. And so with research that started looking at post-Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. and the fact that their entire environment was shifted and changed, they experienced overwhelming trauma. Mm-hmm. And that fundamentally altered the way they navigated their world, their relationships, their communities, which then became passed down from generations. And you see now in these studies how um, survivors of the Holocaust passed down through their generations a heightened response to stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing it. Now there's even even this consideration around post-traumatic slave syndrome. We're seeing this in the African-American community and and, and African communities where this trauma around slavery has altered Mm -hmm. fundamentally at the core level of DNA expression, Mm -hmm. the way people react and respond and have a heightened reaction Mm -hmm. to different experiences of anxiety, depression, and whatnot because of how they were treated and how their ancestors were treated. You know, very, very good. This is something to bring up because I I, I just read this article and the the, um, author escapes me. Um, But the article talked about how the difference between anxiety between African-American individuals and white American individuals, right, in terms of anxiety. And the the, the study, the whole uh, study looked at um, 
how African-Americans versus whites deal with it, but also the prevalence of it and how long it lasts. Yeah. Does that make sense? And what they found was um, African-Americans stay at this high level of anxiety longer because there's no baseline in terms of when they felt well. Mm. Because they're constantly seeing images of themselves being murdered or they're always, you know, or they're constantly being um, looking at the different systemic issues, the history that plays into how they're actually functioning now, where in terms of their resources, in terms of, you know, we were punished years ago if we showed any emotion at all, right? And so we're constantly at this high level of anxiety because that's normal for us. Yeah. So we don't have a baseline. So on the other hand, uh, they, they study white individuals who they do deal with anxiety, absolutely, right? But what they can, uh, what they notice that there's a baseline that they said, there was a moment in my life that I felt Good, where they can compare it to, and that's what they want to get back to. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so underreported for African Americans when we talk about anxiety, because there's no baseline to compare it to. It's just their norm. It's just our norm, right? And that's from a historical um, sense. You know, you talk about the Holocaust, that's from a historical sense as well. We're constantly on high alert. We're always in this anxious moment because we don't have a high level of trust in our society and in systems and institutions that we're constantly at this level of we have to kind of watch our own back and we we always have to we don't have space to have uh you know a baseline of where i felt well you know that's that's not a that's not a space for us yeah right and so it's very important to see how that plays out in terms of different cultures you know and how we are actually functioning based on history but we're functioning on how mental health is not even just how it plays out but how it's actually exhibited and the um, the belief about it, and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, because the black community will say, "Ain't nobody got time for a breakdown." <laughs> <laughs> Right. Because historically, we haven't had time for a breakdown. Right. There was there weren't resources for us. And there's still lack of resources for us to have these type of moments of being able to take time for ourselves. Right. On top of the fact that we don't even recognize that there is a breakdown. You know, it's so nuanced and complex that we can have like 10 uh, podcasts (laughs) surrounding this. But you're right. You know, there is culture. Culture plays a huge degree in terms of mental health and how it is perceived, um, how it is addressed uh, and in how it looks in the mental health profession as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, this is an overwhelming topic, and it sounds to me like, at the very least, the, the place that we need to be intentionally going after, which is what we hope this podcast does, mm-hmm. is facilitate the conversation. Sure. But absolutely, I mean, I think back over the conversation that we're having now, it seems like, you know, obviously we both see that there is not only room for, but that it's just 
it just is mm-hmm. that the Bible addresses mental health, that Jesus cared about our mental health, mm-hmm. that God created us to be holistic beings that included mm-hmm. not only our physical selves and our spiritual selves, but our mental mm-hmm. and psychological sure. and emotional selves yes. as well. Yes. And that throughout scripture, we see different people navigating challenging, mm-hmm. dark, difficult times mm-hmm. and seeking God out. And sometimes God provided relief in that moment and other times it was a long process mm-hmm. of navigating the suffering and recognizing and claiming to the truth of the truth of who God was in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to dive more into this topic of the cultural implications of mental health. So can we do that yeah. in a whole podcast? It seems to me like an episode that's just critical. Absolutely. 